BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. I am back. It's your girl, Jacqueline, alongside my favorite person to talk movies with, Mr. Mark Ellis. Oh, well, thank you, Jacqueline. But I specifically asked for this specific podcast to be referred to as Mark the Prince of Fire. The Prince of Fire. Leader of the Fire Nation. Man. I will redeem myself in my father's eyes. Can I pretend that I'm in an avatar in this regard? Because I feel like uh, it is just the body existing without the brain. It's at that point of the award season. Oh, okay. Well, so you were just at the Critics' Choice Awards as yeah. we're filming this episode. And that I've never been to the gala. I am so enthralled by the celebrities that have to mingle with critics. <laughs> yeah. And that awkward dance. It is it, a dance. It, it, kinda, it must be like kind of walking on eggshells, right? Because nobody wants to upset everybody. They're happy to take pictures with everyone. They don't want a bad review <laughs> in a future movie. Seems like there's a lot of uh, nervous energy. It, it, it's like a sixth grade dance where like the guys are over here and the girls are over here and nobody really wants to interact, but you got to go through the motions. I would say this. It's always the case at these shows where people don't know if they're winning before they get there. Oh, Any okay. of the shows like the AFI honors where they're just like celebrating everybody in the room or the LAFCA, which is like the Los Angeles film critics, where they decide who wins before you show up. All of those are great because they go in there knowing they won. Yeah. And so you don't really have to deal with that sort of like nervous energy. I will add that the group that is the Critics' Choice adds a lot more nervousness and a lot more energy to all those things. Very similar to our guests we have today. Although I wouldn't say nervous, I would say whirly energy. She brings whirly energy. <laughs> yes. and she is one of the three members that do that. That's, of course, Steph Sabra, one third of the World Girls, is back with us today to talk about a movie that, let me just go ahead and say, I think this is one where... We're going to have some interesting opinions, but Steph, welcome back to us today. I'm so happy to be back. Yes, interesting is a really good word for it. <laughs> of course, I want to talk about the fact that Mark said that he has fire energy because, of course, we're talking about the last airbender, the fire, the earth and the water, everything in between. 5% rotten on the tomato meter back in 2010 with a 30% audience score. The reason why we're talking about it this week is because we have Knock at the Cabin out in theaters everywhere February 3rd. This is, of course, M. Night Shyamalan's latest effort now as he's working with smaller budgets. And if you haven't checked it out already, please check out our ranking of all of M. Night Shyamalan's movies. That was a really great episode. We had Alex Wolf on there. Also head on over to RottenTomatoes.com because The Last Airbender is on our 100 worst movies of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're celebrating and we're shading all in the same boat. I don't know, Mark. I, I do have to start with you, though. Do you, do you Do you want the like, do you want to have the sort of like honor of saying first and foremost, what is happening with 
the last airbender or would you rather just tell me first and foremost if it's wrong? I'm going to let you think about it. Jacqueline, there's been a lot of <laughs> movies and a lot of media, a lot of creativity, a lot of endeavors that have involved earth and wind and fire. None better than the band Earth, Wind and Fire. I mean, yeah. let's boogie, Wonderland, September. Come on. All time great 70s band. And then I feel like they influenced all of this art that we're talking about now. Does it, whether you're talking about Avatar from James Cameron, whether you're talking about The Last Airbender, Earth, Wind and Fire. Pretty cool. This movie has some redeeming qualities that I did note that I did not really look at in a positive light upon my initial screening when I saw this movie back in 2010. I think that Rotten Tomatoes is... <sighs> Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. I think the audience is closer to right. Okay. So I think it's bad. It's definitely a rotten movie. Not a good flick, but is it 5% rotten? Those are for like, you know, your Leprechaun 6s, your... See, that, I think that is unfair to Leprechaun 6. Wow. I agree. Okay. Well, it, it, that was one where he went back to the hood and I agree because that no, was funny. That's a little, I think, well, let me think. That may have been five. No, I think it was five. Yeah, I think that was five. Anyway, uh, Steph, real quick also, I I think I know where you stand on this because we were talking a little bit in the green room. This is a movie that I really do feel ended friendships. So I asked this very carefully. What do you feel about The Last Ender? Is, is it right or wrong? I think the score is right, which is hard for me to say because I never don't. I, it's so hard for me not to like a movie. <laughs> but this movie made me feel like a Scrooge for the first time. And like... I couldn't look at myself in the mirror being like, I hate something so much. Like it made me not like myself. So yeah. therefore I don't like it. Wow. <laughs> We've never had Miser Steph on the show before. Wow. I, 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 I thought I you were going to defend this movie simply because of your love of Jackson Rathbone, who was in Twilight. Yeah. I was trying to look for the connection here. Thank and I'm like, you. wait a minute. We know how much Steph supports. And Steph even won me over. Yeah. With Twilight a little bit when she's like, no, you got to watch Twilight like you're a high school girl and that's what you're going through. So a lot of the stuff is elevated. Yeah. But that argument, that's not going to apply to The Last Airbender. No, no. it simply can't. <laughs> it simply can't today. Man, I'm putting Jack my foot down. <laughs> Jackson, I will say, he was giving what Austin gave before Austin Butler gave it. That's all I will say. Okay. That is all I will say. For those that know, they know. He's yep. like a wintry Elvis in this movie. He kind of. I'm sorry, I didn't want to get into it, but he's he does whatever he does, he's doing the best he does here and in the Twilight movies. Let me just say that. Like him, like sex appeal wise, this is the cutest he's looked. All right. The the, the sexiness of not only Jackson Rathbone, but also that name. My God, you know he's the fifth of his name. Really? Yeah. And why would you change the name? I guess. Like yeah. he's got a first name that's not Jackson, but then the middle name is Jackson. And you know when you have like a cool first name, kind of like M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Jackson Rathbone, pretty good. But you cannot evade the question anymore, Jacqueline Coley. I tennis it back to you. <laughs> Is Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> wrong about The Last Airbender? I'm going to go ahead and say that it's, I hate saying this again, but yeah, it's wrong. But not, I'm more along your lines. I would even say that I could put this in a generous 35, maybe even a 40 straight Look up. Look at you. I mm. really could for different reasons. Just, I will get to that in a minute. Because this is the thing I will say about this movie. Do I think it's a well-made movie? No. But I feel watching it the way some people feel watching Black Adam. What did you expect? Okay. It's a kid's movie based on an anime. Based, You know what I mean? Like, this was not something I was going into with, like, any animated series where they can, like, freak out and the eyes get big and they do the, like, Dah! like, anything like that I can't take too seriously when they do it as live action. Me personally. 
I don't know. Maybe I, I, I like some of those arguments because it, maybe you picked the wrong director for this task. Maybe the, there were some casting issues that kind of, you know, there, there's some whitewashing in this movie. There's a whole lot of stuff like behind the camera. There's a whole lot of stuff when you're watching the movie. I think we can all agree it's not the best movie. No. But once we get into movie talk, I have some some interesting thoughts that Same. I, now I'm in the position of trying to win Steph over. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Of, of being it's not bad. And I'm okay with this because I'm never in this position. So I really love that all of that is coming towards you. Same. I feel like we're Steph. all like trading spaces right now. I'm ready to be convinced. Also, I will say, this is the one movie where I feel me and you are in the dangerous position by not just abjectly thinking it's awful. But We're on thin ice. Yeah, but tell me... <laughs> Literally. Tell us the synopsis, because I think that will clue folks in who haven't seen it, just how out of pocket we are for not calling it basically a regurgitation. All right, kids. So you got your Earth Kingdom, right? You got your Fire Nation, you got your Air Nomads, then you got your your Water Tribe, and they deal with ice a lot too. So you have these four different elements and the people that represent these elements and kind of uniting this all together into one nice bundle like the Force would be an airbender. And they're sort of the ones that find the balance with everything. And so we have this land and it was all peaceful and everything was good. And then the airbender went away in a period of darkness and conflict and turmoil and strife came over the land and now it appears that the airbenders reemerged but not everybody's happy to see this person because there is such a struggle for power and there has been for so many decades that now it's like the the fire nation wants the airbender and they want to take over and then you have the water people they're just trying to figure their way earth kingdom being like what happened to this kid and we also have and i cannot stress this enough um appa the flying dog that <laughs> it, it may be <laughs> technically it's a bison yeah. Arguably the best flying mammal since Falcor. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I say that with all due respect to Airbud, but I mean, this, totally. this puppy can seriously move. And right. so Appa, one of the highlights of this movie, and this was the first of a trilogy of films that we ended up not getting, even though the movie made money. We'll talk about all that later. There's your synopsis of The Last Airbud. I really love it. And the fact that you resisted to call him Falcor. I appreciate that because that is all I thought. First time I, I was like, okay, they've got their Falcor too. Again, Falcor is a dog, I believe. He's yeah, a luck dragon. He's a oh, luck yeah, dragon. He's, a good, okay. he's yeah. technically well, a dragon. Appa's a bison. I mean, yes. He's a bison But it's dog. still like the idea of like the flying <laughs> magical creature that's <laughs> they, really fun. They, they bred a bison with a uh, with some sort of sheep dog. You know what exactly. I'm saying? Like, I'm like, this is, this is still the vibe. I want the puppies. <laughs> I want the puppy. I want a bunch of little puppies flying around. Yes. You can get it. Uh, before we get into all that, we definitely have to take a two-minute transition to our favorite review creation manager, Mr. Tim Ryan. Why don't you take it away, sir? Favorite segment, Two Minutes with Tim. Two Minutes with Tim. With the success of The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and Signs, M. Night Shyamalan carved out a niche as one of big studio Hollywood's most distinctive voices. But the reaction to his next three films, The Village, Lady in the Water, and The Happening, were a mix of bemusement, confusion, or out-and-out hostility. Still, it's hard to overstate just how scathing the reaction was to The Last Airbender in 2010. Fans of the anime series felt it completely missed what was great about the original. Its brilliantly drawn characters, its visual inventiveness, its good humor, and its philosophical depth. And both fans and newcomers, critics and audience members, found fault with its whitewashed cast, its incomprehensible plot, and its muddy special effects. But even if The Last Airbender was a huge bomb, it's nice to report that Shyamalan has solidly rebounded in recent years, if for no other reason that he follows his muse and takes chances with original, or at least non-IP, material, which is still a rarity in Hollywood. That might have been one of the reasons for The Last Airbender's failure, that he was adapting an existing franchise. 
The Last Airbender is rotten at 5% on the tomato meter with 192 reviews, and it has a 30% audience score. And for comparison, Avatar The Last Airbender, the series which ran from 2005 to 2008, has an overall score of 100%. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Roger Eber of the Chicago Sun-Times wrote, The Last Airbender is an agonizing experience in every category I can think of and others still waiting to be invented. The laws of chance suggest that something should have gone right. Not here. However, in a fresh review, Stephanie Zacharek of MovieLine wrote, The Last Airbender, for all its Shyamalan-style grandiosity, is completely harmless and inoffensive, and at the very least, Shyamalan appears to be having a little fun here. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, The Last Airbender squanders its popular source material with incomprehensible plotting, horrible acting, and detached, joyless direction. So that's The Last Airbender. And to end things on a positive note, we covered The Sixth Sense, M. Night Shyamalan's best-reviewed film, on a previous episode of the podcast, so be sure to check that one out as well. Back to you, folks. Yeah, that was a fun episode of uh, of RT is Wrong when we just kind of went down the Shyamalan yeah. lineage. And I'm currently working on, I think it's going to be out in maybe a month or maybe three weeks, uh, M-, M. Night Shyamalan movie Versus. Nice. So I've like watched his entire filmography again. And like, I, I always loved this dude. I always love the way he makes movies. I love when you just have a director who has a movie and it's an event. And I felt so bad when like he kind of went downhill and everybody was bashing on him. You know, me included, I didn't like some of the movies, but I was just so happy to see the resurgence after this, after After Earth, and then we get the visit, and then I'm just I'm back on the train, ready for a knock at the cabin. I'm sugarcoating what we just heard. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, you real quick, him. I would love your your quick hit thoughts on listening to because I again Tim takes us back to a thing that we kind of forget. I forget the vitriol in some of these reviews. Like people came out yeah. with knives. What did you think about just listening to the critics? Like kind of go back because again, this was a movie. It was it was hated in a way that honestly we haven't felt since After Earth, which was the next time you pissed people yep. off this bad. I felt really seen and heard. I <laughs> I feel completely understood because I remember watching the animated series back in two thousand five when it came out, and at that time I even knew as an anime fan like the live action adaptions are almost always terrible, mm. and so when the movie came out, I remember like everyone like really really hating it and I was like a child I shouldn't know hate like that but I really I really really (laughs) knew it so I really understood some of that it was like why did you why'd you do that yeah why'd you do that I mean, this is the thing. It's the craziest thing in the world is it seems like everyone involved in this killed themselves to make this incredibly bad movie. But we will get into all of that as we cue into Movie Talk. So this keys into it because, again, the the anticipation was high. If I could take people back to, like, before this movie was released, what was crazy about it is for as much as people were like, I don't know about it, because everybody involved in the series was kind of like, I don't know about it, because there was already whisperings that this was not going to be what the show was like, and they were already like, I don't know. Even despite that, it was a huge event. I remember last Airbender was on everything. It was like the merchandising thing. And so when it got this reception of 5%, do you think it was just like people coming back for it? Or do you do you feel like any of that hype like played into it? Yeah, I think people definitely were hyped about it. And I think when you love a franchise so much, you're, you you want to believe in it. You're like, well, I'm going to see it because they probably didn't see what I would see. Mm. And then you would go to see it. Like I went to see it. Everyone I knew went to see it. And we I, at that time, I, I don't know if I was like checking for scores like that. But I remember everyone being like, oh, no, it's as bad as they said it was. 
Did you feel it instantly after the first time you watched yes. it? Yes. Yeah, like within minutes of it starting. The opening scene, I remember being like, wait, that's the pronunciation of the soccer? I'm yeah. the what? same exact way. This was the early days of Schmoes. I was going to say, so, was this a Schmo? This is a Schmo Shunter, it, right? it was me and Christian Harloff, and we had our guest reviewer was a comedian, who one of the funniest people on earth, Steve Simone. And mm. he's not only one of the funniest people, he's one of the nicest human beings. Like, if, if, if you have a bad day, he's like, I, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> like, like he goes to church three times a week. He left within 10 minutes. He no. just like walked out. He's like, I, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. And he just walked around the grove. Chris and I sat there. I think we stuck it out. But I remember like, just like Steph, I had my popcorn ready because I was so excited for this movie because of M. Night Shyamalan. Right. I knew virtually nothing about Avatar The Last Airbender leading into this. I had never seen the, the anime. So I'm just like thinking, okay, we were talking about Steph Curry right before the cameras rolled, right? <laughs> Great shooters continue to shoot even after they miss. So M. Night Shyamalan, he hits his first three buckets, maybe his first four buckets if you count the village. And then he starts missing. But Lady in the Water, okay, it was a nice movie for his kids. You know, yeah. George Lucas can go do Radioland murders if he wants just for fun. Yeah. And then he did The Happening. And it's like, oh, boy, what are we really getting into here? Yeah. But maybe he was trying to make a schlocky B movie. This was going to be the comeback. This was going to be the big three that he drained that reminded everybody exactly who this mf -er was. And it just fell so flat in every phase of the game when I was watching it. The acting seemed terrible. It seemed joyless to me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes movies need to be joyless. Manchester by the Sea needs to be joyless. Okay? Yeah. There's a lot of sadness in that movie. Here, I understand that there's despair going on in this land, but it just seems like nobody wants to have any fun. I mean, we got a flying bison. Yeah. And we're not having any fun in this until Asif Mandvi shows up as the main villain and he's having a little bit of fun. He's having a little bit of fun. You know? I, I like when villains have fun. I, yeah. I wouldn't say that this is the problem with what happened with Dev Patel is because he was not having fun and he was the main villain throughout it. But, it's because it seemed the only direction that M. Night gave him was shout more. Like, there's a good character arc in so many of these characters that just gets, like, drowned out, but I think just bad production. But I do agree with you. This was supposed to be M. Night's comeback. I wanted to go back and look at it, but do you remember this about it? How did you feel about the three prior? I just want to start with this. The Happening, Lady in the Water, and The Village. Because that was the beginning of M. Night, like, sort of dipping off. What did you feel about those three coming into this? Was M. Night even a factor at all? Yeah, I, I liked those fine. And I thought that this would be, like, a cool take on the series. On the series, I was like, okay, maybe it will be more serious like his other films. But that's okay if they really commit to that tone. But the movie committed to no tone, really. Uh, it was just serious. And then the... When they tried to make it funny, it was like truly cringeworthy. <laughs> and you can see like, you know, you, you can see the, the sort of through lines of like classic entertainment and, and mythology in this movie where you have the, the son who's just turned evil because he's just so hell bent on revenge and trying to redeem himself somehow. I do love the uncle character. I think Sean Tube is the best yeah. performer in this movie because the uncle is like sort of sympathetic, but he's also like, hey, dude, you really don't have to like live up to anything. We can just like go, you know, fish for the rest of our he lives. He has some yeah. dimension. Yeah. No, yeah. I would. I still think Dev Patel is giving his all in this. I just wish he had better direction for it because again, I think we all know that Dev Patel is a, a very um, talented actor. What I love about this is the M. Night Shyamalan mythos 
literally this was the movie where the emperor had no clothes. Because there was like hints of it and even signs. People had like some iffy things about signs. You remember like they the, were mad about the extraterrestrials who are semi allergic to water. Exactly. Came to a planet that's 70% water. I can defend that. Yeah. So there was like I little there was little ticks on like how this guy did things was to service his ideas more than to service an audience. And we kept getting little hints of that leading up to everything until we get to this one. And it's like, does this guy even know how to operate a camera? <laughs> and that was the thing that I think was in these reviews. It was people looking back at him and being like, we have hyped this guy up. And really, it's just because he cribbed Hitchcock better than anyone in his first movie. And that's the sixth sense. But that's right. also the question that I have right. about any studio that's going to put a, what, $150 million budget behind a movie where it's like, I know M. Night Shyamalan was one of the biggest director names out there at the time. Yeah. But it's almost like you're hiring Alfred Hitchcock to do the Lego movie. It's like, no, you can find somebody better. Rod Serling isn't going to be the right guy to tell the story of the movements. This is what's so funny about this is this is where I can picture, you know, I love these TikToks where they're like, we're going to take you inside of this board meeting. I can picture the exact meeting. <laughs> I can picture them pitching it. Well, they're going to come for us if we don't get a brown guy to direct it. I'm sorry. That is literally the only reason why you make M. Night Shyamalan direct this And that movie. might be predicated on, hey, we want to cast white people as the leads. Right. So. Thank you. Thank you. And change Thank the you. name so it Thank sounds you. a little bit more exotic. Exactly. Right. <laughs> like, we're going to have to make this really white people friendly. We got to have what we think is our guy in the chair trying to execute it. And I love this now because I think that if there were two directors who should have spoke before they decided to do what they do— it's Chloe Zhao and M. Night Shyamalan for different reasons. Because I feel like what happened to him was like the opposite of what happened to her. She had all this goodwill that kind of evaporated because she was trying to appease two people. And he had some goodwill, but a lot of doubters. And he was trying to like placate both in this huge Disney machine. And that's why this film just looks absolutely horrible. And it was also kind of a, I, I guess in retrospect, because I never knew this, that as as somebody who came to the anime late, which I saw like over the pandemic, I watched and I thought it was great. But the producer, or the, the creators of that, Michael and Brian, they were like, okay, well, you're making a big budget movie. I think that they were kind of like, uh, are we going to direct this? Yeah. Because we'd be really good at directing this. Yeah. yeah. And then I think that there ended up being some sort of like conflict between them and M. Night as far as like the vision of how the movie should play out. And that's a real bummer when it's like you're you're a baby and it's just kind of, it, it gets, it not stolen, but it's like everybody made a lot of money. This movie ended up making money. This movie did. It ended up making money, $320 million worldwide. It was not a flop, which is so crazy. But again, I think everyone knew, fool me once, they knew they couldn't go back. Like they knew with this team, they knew with this vision, with the actors, first of all, none of the actors wanted to come back because they were all getting roasted for doing uh. this. Like they all, like a Razzie nomination does hit people in a way that they don't want to be in. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today 
at squeezed.com. But I will ask you, do you feel it's inherently because people enjoyed the series first or is it because they couldn't let it go? Were you a fan of the series? Do you feel like the legacy is in any way influencing what you have? Or did you even have any like ideas on it? I think 100% the legacy and the love of the series is what affected it because everyone was like, this was people's introduction to anime who don't watch anime, especially in the States. And it had such good lore, which I think they tried to touch on in the movie but they, if you watch the movie, they try, if you watch a series, they tried to make the movie the season one in mm. one movie, which is like 26 episodes or something like that. So they're just like cutting storylines and filling it with exposition. Mm. And there's just no dialogue or character. You fall in love with the characters in the show. And then this, it's like, who are these people? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you guys even talking about? Yeah. And, and it's, it's a weird thing to have this movie come out. And I compare it to something like Warcraft. Yeah. that Duncan Jones did, where you have two armies that you really have to please, right? You have the hardcore Warcraft players. Then you also are, it's a big budget movie, so you need to get a lot of butts in seats, not just the Warcraft folk. You need to please a, the mass populace. And that movie, I think, was okay but with it did both a, of those. It did a much better job it on the It did a lore. better job than Airbender. But last yeah. Airbender, the problem with it was that it alienated people who were fans and people like me who were newbies just watching. They said, well, this movie's just terrible. Like, there's very little redemption to it. And again, I, I watched it a couple of times this past weekend. Yeah. J- just trying to find the positivity. <laughs> a couple and of times, the really? Light. I did. I mean, I, I love Shyamalan and I, I, I think the, the actors were giving it their all. And this is, when you talk about the whitewashing in this movie, this is not a situation where it's like some famous white performer who's like, I want to do this property. It's These like, are kids that are hired to do a job. Right. Barely. Like one um, of them was hired because his her dad was the producer and that's how they got their money. That is a very literally good point. Brooklyn. But it's not it's yeah. not Noah Ringer, right? Noah no, Ringer shows girl. up to an audition. Yeah. He's he's all of what, nine or ten years old. He's already an expert at Taekwondo yeah. when he does it. And and that's what he does now. I think he just like he yeah. runs charitable organizations and he does Taekwondo. He teaches kids. So it's like he actually had some chops. He's just it, he's not the one that forced it upon people. Yeah. So I blame the folks behind the scenes on doing that. And can you imagine, I mean, the vitriol this movie got in 2010. Yeah. With the progressive society we have in 2023, oh this movie gosh. comes out now, it probably gets canceled before the word jump. They wouldn't do it now. Because right. they did, that's what it I'm didn't, Yeah, it didn't make any sense because, yeah, the girl, the, the, the girl that's like, you know, the Boston say uh, Katara. that girl. Yeah, Katara. Katara. Yeah. yeah, where she's just like, oh, the, I mean, her and this table have a lot in common as far as acting range. And this is a table made of wood. <laughs> and she's like the coolest tab. girl character in the series. Like Seriously. She, she's fighting sexism, but she's also like a girly girl and she like loves fighting. And there, she has so much dimension and she like jokes around and is serious. And this was just like one tone. One tone and very like more damsel in distress and like, I don't understand that like anything deserved to be in this particular story, which I thought was crazy. She's married to uh, Brooklyn Becker. uh, Brooklyn um, uh, Beckham. Beckham, Beckham, I want to say Becker. Brooklyn Beckham now. So that is a Nepo baby inception right there. They're going to have the biggest Nepo baby. David Beckham and Victoria Beckham's kid is Brooklyn? Yeah, who is married to this girl. Do they have five kids? Not yet. Are they they, they after each borough? Uh, know their names. These are kids: Brooklyn, Bronx, Manhattan, Queens. Brooklyn, Cruz, <laughs> Romeo, Harper, and another one. I don't. I I I had a thing for Beckham. Anyway, moving we on. That. We got <laughs> all that. I, yeah, <laughs> we I feel that. Um, but this is this is the whole thing I would say about it is everyone involved in it regretted it immediately. In fact, Dev Patel had his inside the actor's studio a couple years ago. Where he talked <laughs> about this, where he was like, at the time, I thought I was doing 
what everyone expected me to do to be a part of these things. And like, think about it now when you have somebody like Jake Gyllenhaal, who's filmed like 80 million movies, but he comes on the set of Spider-Man No Way Home and he's like, I don't know how to do this. And this was back when they were learning how to do this. These big green screen productions like this that were like becoming commonplace. The 20s and the tw- the 2010s and the early 2000s is when that happened. We didn't have movies like this where people were acting to balls. Like this is just past the prequels. Yeah. I thought you were going to reference another Jake Gyllenhaal movie where it's like, I guess this is what people expect me to do. And that would be the Prince of Persia. True. Same. Where it's like the yeah. guy's giving it his all. But are, should you be the Prince of Persia? I don't know. That was more practical, though. Just remember the Prince of Persia. He's fighting sand. Like, he's running around their swords. Their you know sandals. what I mean? Like, but it's mostly him like doing practical stunts with this one. When you think about like Dev Patel's job for half the movie is standing in a dark room like Gargamel talking about, I'm coming to get you, my pretties. Like, this is not... He was like Kylo Ren. It's very He walked so Kylo Ren could run. It's very that. And this is what's so funny. With Kylo Ren, it works because you get somebody... Like, they did it right. They got the right actor in the sense that you want to have an actor with gravitas to bring this. But you, again, cast the wrong lead as the female and just go about it a different way. Which is so strange to say because, like, I I take this all the way back to when one one of my friends is like a huge Flash Gordon fan, right? Sat me down to watch Flash Gordon from night, and I'm like, this is terrible. This is awful. And it came out a couple of years Flash after Gordon. Star Wars. And so I watched Flash Gordon and my thought was Star Wars so easily could have become this. What's the difference? What's the magic sauce that made Star Wars this epic that people can still put on and love? And Flash Gordon is just this thing of its time. And I don't I don't know why the last Airbender acting is so terrible and why something in a very similar vein, like a star, like the Force Awakens or something like that, just feels so much more believable. I I don't have the answer to that because this acting did feel a little bit like the prequels where it's like, I don't know what the difference. I don't know what that little magic sauce is. I think director. Yeah, I think it was a few things for the dialogue was all exposition. The casting was just so inauthentic from Jump. Like, even though this is fictional, we're talking about tribes. Sure. And like, like so many different things that are obviously people of color. And, and you see it in the show. And then as soon as it hits the screen, it's just like, I feel bad for the actors. They had an insurmountable mountain to climb from the get. It's yeah. just like, it doesn't fit. Yeah, I mean, our last airbender, Ong, is, is supposedly like the, the air nomads are more like a like a Buddhist Tibetan kind right. of thing. Mm-hmm. And and that's a, a white kid. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then even if you have, you have Katara and Soka and they're the, the water folk and they're more like an Inuit sort of thing. And it's like, well, that's also not, <laughs> not, not white. And so, not. so anybody who watched the anime is instantly like, wait, what, what the hell is going on? And folks like me are just watching this being like, um, they cast a lot of white people as the good guys and a, and a lot, lot of, of brown, brown people, people as the bad guys. Which I had an even bigger problem with it than the, like, more than the whitewashing because let's be honest, that is like a tale as old as time. Tale as old as time. Like, I, I don't even, like, you you can't hurt my feelings anymore on whitewashing. If it but, was good. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, <laughs> it's not even if it's good. It's like, I, I know how horrible and insidious the idea of this is, but it's almost like I know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And as long as you can put an economic number behind it, in both instances where they take a black actor where it was previously a white role or whatever. Or like Scarlett Johansson as the best Asian actress Girl, of our time. Seriously. <laughs> whatever it is, they will I don't always... I Emma Stone's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Dude, She was. <laughs> They will go to some bankability or marketability concept, but the colorism has no markability because like you can't even make the argument that this was whitewashed for marketability. So that takes that one away altogether. It is basically good people in light, bad people in darkness. Like what the heck? This is 
Now, what's funny is a movie recently did it again. Like we had In the Heights, which is supposed to be this huge Hispanic story. And there's no dark skin Hispanic characters. And the one dark skin person in this is the one that they're trying to keep out in some way. Again. If I'm going to put a positive spin on this movie, which I have attempted <laughs> so to do. Excited. Yeah. I think that I could sit my niece and my nephews down yeah. and I can and I and maybe they're young enough to where I'm I'm like, hey, just enjoy this and don't worry about all of the Hollywood, you know, all, all the colorism, all, all the stuff that's going on, all the whitewashing Just sit down. And what do you think of this story? I, I think that they can enjoy sequences because I do think the effects are really good. That's, I yeah. think the special effects still hold up. I think the special effects in this are arguably better than some in 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 the prequels for the most part in the Star Wars prequels. Mm. But if you if you if you sit down and watch this, the other thing that I have with this movie is it feels unnecessarily confusing sometimes. Yes. Where it it's everything else the acting is so straightforward. Everybody has this one note that they're going after, but it does feel like we're kind of muddling a lot of season 1 of Avatar the Last Airbender the anime. And so I wonder if the kiddos can follow along with this. I think, I don't know if it's a follow along. I think because they knew they had potentially more installments that they were already signed up for with the idea that, hey, this is around, when did the Avengers happen? 2008? Mm, 2012. I mean, Iron Man was two, was 2008. Okay, sorry. Iron Man was 2008. So they're already seeing this whole like big adventure team ups thing is in the future. Like this was not in the horizon, but it was at least something they were talking about. So I understand why they were like, oh, we have more time. We can rush through this one so long as we get the audience into us. And I think they thought the more we cover, the more the audience will be happy. Instead, I would have cut this movie in half in a heartbeat. This is a protection run. Why don't you just make it feel that way? And then as soon as you're about to get to danger, cut it off. And I think that's what they were worried about. Steph, was there any part of you as, as a fan of the property going into this that was like, okay, we we stumbled a little bit with this one out of the gate, but we'll course correct. We got two movies left because I had to do that. I I you know after after you initially see the Phantom Menace and you're like, oh wait what? Okay, don't worry, Attack of the Clones. You see, and you're like, okay, Revenge of the Sith. That's where we get the real good stuff. And then same thing with like a James Bond movie where uh, Casino Royale was great, and then Quantum of Solace was like, what the hell did I just watch? I think the next one's going to be better though. Was there any party that's like, okay, we're going to get a, a better sequel, we're going to get our Empire Strikes Back here, or were you just ready to like, nope? I'm done. Maybe. I can't. I, I think maybe I was like, okay, I'm excited to see what they do. But it was, I was so not into the characters that mm. it's hard to be excited for that. I feel to your point, it's like, I thought Dune did this perfectly. Yeah. They set up uh, the first one so well. And then right before the action, they cut it. And you're like, I'm in. When's the second one coming out? And mm -hmm. some people hated that Dune way that did, they did yeah. that too. Like this is the difference between what David Lynch tried to do with Dune and the difference between, you know what I mean? Like in, in a lot of ways, M. Night was set up the same way David Lynch was in that respect where he was not really given the runway time or amount of material to really make a compelling film in the way that he wanted to. But I know this is what happens when you try to please too many people in the room and the moment is that you get a movie like this that doesn't please anybody. And I'll say that, again, I'll, I'll defend a couple of the actors here. I, I, again, I think Asif Mandy did everything he could Absolutely. to have a little bit of fun here. And people are like, what? But he's from The Daily Show. He was in The Proposal. Like, you, you're going to cast a comedic actor as this? Yeah. Again, funny people can go very dark very quick. Yeah. All right? Yeah. It's, where the, the, it's where the funny comes from. Sorry. <laughs> darkness lives in there. And... And so if you have like a Hans Gruber, yeah. you know, you you have people that, that have a wink and a nod, but they're also like super villains. 
And I like some of his stuff. And I like that the moon spirit ends up just being like, oh, look, it's just this little fish thing. So like, I like that it's this big thing. No, it's just this little thing. Yeah. I, I think so much of the war mm. what was missed, but but the war that actually hit in this movie, I think does speak to that classical kind of Joseph Campbell hero with a thousand faces sort of thing mm. th- that I enjoy. But so much of it was just miscast or or mishmashed and it felt like a whole lot of the canon was just kind of put in this little ball and it made it tougher for me to understand than this movie should have been. Absolutely. I was going to ask you too about the more redeeming aspects of it, but I do want to shout out Asif Mandi because this is what's crazy about him is I absolutely see him doing what Dave Batista is doing now, being a comedian that could really move over looking at some of the roles that he's already done. Yeah. Like I I can now like picture back to a random Sex in the City episode that he did. And he like talked about it later because, you know, that was back when all he could play was cab drivers and tech mm-hmm. guys. But he was just like, even in those, I'm trying to like add a little bit more where I don't have to just just be this sort of like archetype of what you would see an, an Indian or South Asian man representing on screen. And this was an opportunity for that. And M. Night could have done it. And still he like fumbled the bag. And I don't think it was him. I think on that respect, especially with the girl, like the girl, she came with the money for the movie. So he had to cast her. <laughs> Everything else is literally, I think it's just, this was not his movie Everything was just put in place based on what these producers and the people that had the rights and had paid for the rights wanted. Yeah, I I agree. Because there's some parts where you just, you thought you had the lore, but you didn't. Like, when we go to the Earth, the when the firebenders are, like, controlling the Earth people, and they're like, um, Aang is like, oh, just like, you're an extension of the Earth. Like, use it. It's right here. And I liked that line. But then I remembered that in the series, they're on a steel boat. So they don't have Earth. Um. Like they don't have that like ability to fight back. And then this, it's like, it's just right there. Like they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't, have, they thought wouldn't of that. have thought of that. There is a lot of like, oh, so this, it's, it's kind of crazy too. When you make the white kid, the one that teaches everyone, it really loses all effect. Yeah. It really does. There, there's something to be said for great martial arts in movies. And yeah. I, there's a lot of cool martial arts moves in this and it works well with the effects. The battle scenes play out pretty well. But whereas something I can watch a Van Damme movie and see great martial arts and see some some corny acting and some some just, you know, cookie cutter plots and forgive it because it just feels like such small scale and it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. This felt like it should have been bigger. This felt like it should have been meaningful. This felt like it should have been like, you know, something that, that just gets inside of people in the mythology. And we just carry the torch forward and make more movies. And when something like this that has this many uh, aspirations attached to it, I think it just it falls harder and it falls with a thud. And I think that the 5%, while I think it deserves more than that, I feel like the tomato meter would have been even less kind to it had it come out now. What's so funny <laughs> is everything... We're talking that, 4 or 3%. Yeah. <laughs> What's so funny is everything that this movie does poorly, the other movie that ripped off its name and a lot of its uh, mythology does really well. It does. And yes. Cliff Curtis is in yes. both. And Cliff Curtis is in both. They is a great one. Yeah, shout out oh to Molly's God. mom. She, yeah. she pointed that out to me like Cliff last Curtis. week. She's like, I think Cliff Curtis is in, is in. And yeah. I was like, oh, right. He yeah, is. yeah, he plays the father of yeah. the water nation. Uh, he went from fire to water, baby. Yeah. But just like Cameron, uh, just like M. Knight, Cameron could not re- re- resist the idea of whitewashing because his wife is played <laughs> yeah. by Kate Blanchett. Totally. But like, at least James Cameron, I know that the studios were like, we want you to take out some of the hippie stuff. Like the nature stuff isn't working. And he's like, no, that's not true to the story. Like, we have to keep that in. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the best part about the movie. And that's the part that they also deleted out of this. Right. Sort of indigenous. It was, it's literally indigenous cosplaying. And because it's indigenous cosplaying, 
in this way that is so crazy is for everything that Avatar is accused of and so many things it is absolutely guilty of. The most egregious offender came from a man <laughs> called M. Night Shyamalan. So everything they accuse Cameron of doing in a really cynical, negative way, which I'm not saying that he doesn't, but everything they're accusing him of, we have a much more egregious example. So that's why I kind of forgive Avatar a bit more. Is this movie yeah. an example of where sometimes there are TV shows that you just simply can't adapt? I mean, we've been trying to adapt video games forever, and it looks like maybe The Last of Us, right. is, Last is, of is, us is a quality show. I've seen seven episodes. I can say they got it right. Yeah, I mean, there's been a couple, like, like Sonic is a fun video game to movie adaptation, but with TV shows, sometimes it works. And maybe sometimes you just have to leave it as a TV series. Fair. I mean, they, they keep trying. Yeah, they keep trying with anime specifically. And, and this show is so like a love for anime. You can tell the way they made it. And like anime fans are like, please stop. They did it with Dragon Ball Z. Dragon Ball Z, yeah. They're doing yeah. it. They've done it with so Cowboy Bebop. But this is mm -hmm. the thing. Some of them do work because I, I shouldn't say this. The ones that start as books, I think, work. Because Edge of Tomorrow is based off a of yeah. manga, and that's amazing. And there's a ton of ones that are based off of mangas that are amazing. I agree. But I felt like the actors watched this, and then they kind of delivered the lines in the way that the anime does. Yeah. Like, very one tone, and it works for anime because it's just, that's the way that the, the art is perceived. But for movies, it just is like, you got to change it a little bit. I think you can take the integrity of the story, but don't like try to be an animated actor. And I think that was direction. Like, honestly, this is a case where I just feel the person interpreting the source material was not a person that the source material. It's the reason why apparently Kim, Henry Cavill left The Witcher. When you have this rich source material, if the people adapting it don't live and love it. Right. And they look at it as a project they need to fix instead of something that is vibrant and colorful on its own and their only duty is to be a shepherd of that you get the difference it's the difference between the first six seasons of game of thrones compared to the last two it's the difference between um so many different adaptations where they you know they just don't have their heart in it all right sabra made a point and she always wins me over on something here on this show you're not getting me over to five percent okay. like, like i still feel like this movie deserves maybe 25 30 percent but what you said reminded me of Mortal Kombat, the 1995 classic movie that I love. All right. Paul W.S. Anderson's my favorite Paul Anderson. That movie took Mortal Kombat, which was just a fighting game. It's just two people doing this and then they have moves. And whereas that movie injected some personality into each character, Raiden's having fun. Johnny Cage is having a good time. Liu Kang is focused on avenging his brother. They have backstory here and you feel it. You believe it. Even if it's silly and ridiculous, you still feel like these are three dimensional people. This movie. The Last Airbender, I think they were still just doing the Mortal Kombat thing. Yeah. Right. They're staying in the video game thing. And it's like, no, no, no. We need you to become a movie now. Yeah. You're not still in the animated world. You need to make it a palatable film. And I think that's why it lost folks like me who had never seen the animated. I'm like, I'm like, what the hell is going on here? This doesn't feel authentic. Does it does it feel too geared towards kids? Before we because I want to talk a little bit about M. Night and like kind of him, because I feel in this respect, like M. Night has small kids. I think he was literally making a movie for his, like, eight-year-old, not realizing that this audience was more sophisticated than that. I know his daughter dressed up as Katara, and then he was inspired to do this. Yeah. So I think so. But then it's like, why is it so depressing? Because I don't <laughs> think he liked it. I think he really just did it for his kids, and then he didn't know. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, it's hard. It's almost like somebody else is in a relationship with someone, and you're trying to come in and shoot their love story. 
when you don't even know why they fell in love. Right. Like, you don't even know <laughs> why don't these even people know. like each and other. maybe you just, you've never been in love. And you've definitely never been in love with whatever they're talking about with that, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's very difficult, I think, to put it in there, but... So you're saying I can't direct a rom-com? Is that what you are trying to say? No. No, rom-com, no. yes. No. But Blue Valentine, no. Blue Valentine, no. Okay. No, I think I've you, never gone that far. <laughs> I've never gone You can far. direct your version of Bros. You can direct your cynical love story. Okay. Absolutely. But what I would have a hard time doing is you directing your widowed father. My widowed father? <laughs> like, I don't think you can make that kid's movie. You yeah. can't make your safe patches. You, you can't make it for a kid's movie. And also, like, I, I defend anybody who wants to make something, like, to please a family member. I, I think that's cute. And But that's what M. Night did with Lady in the Water, too. But there was a bedtime story that he was reading to his kids, and then it, like, becomes a movie. It's like, okay, that's yours. Raul Julia. His last movie was Street Fighter, yeah. not because he thought M. Bison was going to be his legacy character, but because his kids liked it and he knew he was he wasn't long for this world. Yeah. And he wanted to make something that was going to make his kids happy. That's awesome. And he did. Yeah. Propping him up and barely able to stand. And they still propped him up and made him look like a god. I love that movie so much for what they were able to give him in a swan song because he is giving he's giving um, what's his name in as the Sherwood, um, the Sheriff of Nottingham. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman and Sheriff of Nottingham. He is giving it like villain, again, Gargamel in his castle realness. I love that kind of villain. They Gotta don't need have, to be in the action, but they are in the action. And, and you know Gargamel has a little bit of fun on the weekends. Exactly. <laughs> I know Gargamel hates the Smurfs, okay? I may agree with him sometimes. Gargamel <laughs> has some fun on the weekends, okay? I just hope it's not with the cat. And the lady... <laughs> It's just a man alone with his cat. That's how you know I directed the love story movie. Questions if there's a dog in the middle of it, that's how you know it's directed by Mark. Right. That is very yeah. true. Yeah. Um, one of the things I definitely want to talk about that we didn't even mention is because as much as I, again, will defend this movie because I, I didn't even say it, you can turn off with it. As a kid, just turn off with it. It's barely 90 minutes. A movie has to last a little bit longer to piss me off. In truth, it really does. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it didn't waste my time. There were still funny moments. Good but effects. I, I would have signed up for Taekwondo immediately after seeing this movie if I was a kid. And laughable moments. And it's pretty. I just think it it's really pretty. pretty. Like, it's just like the costumes of the woman that plays like the queen empress. Um, she looks like like something walking down like the runways of like an ethereal fantasy show. Like, I love so much of the look of all of these ones, but there are so many laughable moments. Um, basically, every time Aang talks, um, I just crack up <laughs> stuff. They lured that poor kid into the room with all the other avatars that have come oh before god. him and they they tricked him yeah. that poor innocent kid oh my god yeah and he had the reaction of a person you're gonna die <gasps> like I'm just I can't it's not good news for a it's, kid yeah and he looked like somebody choke. just look at Steph getting emotional over losing <laughs> her favorite really, avatar that really made me choke <laughs> for sorry. a second <laughs> go right here go right here <laughs> We killed our guests, Jacqueline ladies and gentlemen. Me. I was like, mid-sip. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Don't worry, Steph. I just want to let you know, nothing bad happens to Appa. The flying oh, bison. <laughs> that was almost as bad as the war cry of the water tribe. Oh, my God. Ah. He said, ooh. I said, what? I had to put no. on the subtitles. Do you know what the subtitle says? No. Cooing. Cooing. You know what? There's a video on TikTok that trends right now where it's like, cuckoo. And I swear it must be from that one because it's the same thing. It's, it's so bad. Any other laughable moment for you? Asif Mandi is purposely laughable, but some of Dev's uh, villainous stuff is just bad laughable. Yes, some of the delivery stuff. The whole uh, scene where where um, Asif's character, uh, the Commander Zhao, is is sort of taunting 
Yeah. Um, this the Zuko and and he, he's like, well, you know, let's invite him over for lunch. And so you have like all of like his minions sitting there and they're just watching and and uh, and then Zhao gets up there and he's doing his little song and dance. He's like, and this little bitch over here is basically what he's saying. Oh my god! Like like, 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 like this little, little twerp. He's never going to live up to what. And then he just storms out and the whole thing just felt like like a little forced. And like if yeah. I'm working there. If I'm one of the minions just eating lunch, I'm like, I think I should probably go to with the water folk. They seem m- maybe be an earth villager. It's so funny. Is he cast the coolest people to be the fire people and people you don't think are cool? Because first of all, even back then, I saw skins. So I knew Dev Patel had swagger and Mr. Mm. Steal Your Girl energy before he grew his hair out. Yeah, That's when all you other girls paid attention. And I think y'all know which kind of girls I was talking to. <laughs> Black girls have always been checking on him. Black and brown girls have always been checking on him. But anyway, him, Asif, like it just feel like he wanted the Fire Nation to be so literally fire, like literally fire. And it just didn't live up to it quite as much. But what are the other quote unquote fire moments? Because I will say this, the Earth people getting their boogie pretty fire to me. Yeah. Like when they were like, like I was living for any time they want, like harness their group powers. But the earth people, when they were like, we throw on rocks. Battle scenes, martial arts on ice when we're threatening the moon spirit. Yeah. Uh, and there's this like huge war going on. I love battles with an ice background. That's yeah. why I hung out with Game of Thrones for as long as I did. That's the why tsunami. I like the- the tsunami. Is that, that your yes. fire moment? Yes. Yes. I was like, I know that's not technically fire, but I was like, okay. <laughs> okay, this no. is in the trailer, the best moment. Okay, I it's like this. It's elemental. Anything yeah. elemental counts. Also, the way the Fire Nation looks when Dev, like, like gets his army out and starts going, it felt very Mulan, like, like, like oh, we yeah. are coming to march. Like, I, I love a good montage. Like, we're coming mm-hmm. to, to bring the, the fight to you type stuff. I also love that one, too. But yeah, I will say the Earth people bring in the ruckus. It felt very, like you have made a nice person be mad. Like you have made a person who's trying to exist in pacificity. You have made them be like, oh, you are definitely going to find out right now that I was nice as a kind. <laughs> I just love that <laughs> whole But did scene. you notice when the Earth people were like ready to go, they brought up one rock? Yes! But why one rock? There's because a whole they, group. Honestly, what it is, they do not. This is what's weird to me. Is Steph's the, like drawing out like war schemes and she's like, all right. Yeah, I've read we the gotta, Art of War. This was not it. You know, what's really weird to me also is like the Earth people have all the like swagger with no power. This was also where I thought it was bad casting. The Earth people scream, make these black people. Like they do, in my personal opinion. Obviously, that's not canon, but just based on how he's casting the rest of this right. stuff, the Earth people should obviously be like some form of indigenous black people based on everything that they said. And they're like the one people that don't have a sort of like discernible ethnicity yeah. compared to all the other ones. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just like... I would have liked that. You know, it, if you're going to change, like make it... That swagger scene would have been even better. But that's right. again, I, that's where I felt it. Kick uh, rocks. Also, I think the reason why that was is, again, they were found in captivity. Not going to say that was wrong, but they could have changed it. They could have changed. There's so many like little things that could have made this whole thing better. But yeah, I don't think it has to be so tied to the animated series, but make the changes good. Make the changes good. You got to please an audience. Yeah. Whether it's the newbies or it's the hardcores and this did none of it. And hopefully, uh, hopefully this new the new spin on Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, it kind of turns the ship around and gets the the name back in there in a positive light. Apparently, the the new folks are not happy with this one either because they left that production too, which I don't want to get into that, but it seems like these dudes have left every production of The Last Airbender. Damn. Yeah, so they're not involved with this one either, but I'm going to hope. I'm going to hope 
and keep yep. my fingers crossed, fingers crossed that it goes really well. Um, are you excited for Knock at the Cabin? Are you going to be checking this one out open weekend? Yeah, I think I like Shyamalan. Like I still like even after this, it's I still think he I like how he's like, this is me. Yeah. And I'm going to do my take on things. So I'm going to check it out. I, I do love that he's working with smaller budgets now because I do believe that uh, necessity is the mother of all great invention. And every good movie we know, there was like, honestly, Jaws as we know it is because the shark didn't work. Well, yeah, you directors are best when they have to think their way out of a box. And so the history is littered with those examples. And and you go all the way back to, you know, Easy Ride or something like that, where you just had to make an independent movie. And I guess we actually got to go across country to film yeah. this thing. So I think that when M. Night Shyamalan is put into a box, he finds his way out of it. When that sandbox is huge, then it's like you just have too many toys and you become Francis Buxton, the villain in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Uh, Let's not make him that. Let's make him a knock at the cabin. I am so excited to see this movie. I love the visit. I defended After Earth as much as I could. And then the, this new, you know, closing the Unbreakable trilogy. Yeah. I thought I thought uh, Glass was like okay, but Split was great. Yeah, and uh, and Old I thought was a really cool, you know, idea. Yeah, I just like that original stories were being put into theaters, and people, when it's the right director, and when the director makes himself IP, like M Night, Jordan, Nolan, QT, and a whole bunch of other people have done, people show up for them. Cinema wins. Cinema wins, yeah. as I like to say. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with now. People are like, this person I'm going to show up for. Even if they have swings and a misses, I like their style. So on that, I will always give uh, Last Airbender anything from M. Night Shyamalan a bit of a pass. That's going to wrap it up for us on the movie talk section. We do not have a mailbag this week because we had plenty to talk about. But before we get out of here, Steph, I want you to let us know, please, where folks can find you and what you're working on. You can find me on at Steph Sabra everywhere and I'm with the World Girls. We're all over YouTube and Patreon and I do the Sith Council if you're a Star Wars fan on the Christian Harloff channel. Oh, giddy up. Yeah, yeah definitely got to get our Star Wars. I hope Wars. they start making movies again. <laughs> I like Star Wars movies. We have a few years. I think they need okay. some time. I, I would say they need to take... I They're say, cooking. Honestly, I think everybody needs to just like... I'm yeah, about quality over sit quantity. Down, relax. I love The Mandalorian. The, the baby's cute. Yeah. I, I like I like the movies. We just got a new Mandalorian trailer, which I'm sure y'all will be talking about soon. But I want to make sure, besides the Mandalorian, anything you want to recommend to our audience for them to check out? I think if you were a Last Airbender, the series fan, then one animated series I love, like if you're, it's more adult, but arcane on Netflix. Kitty. It is a steampunk type animation and it is so sick. Yeah. So that is what I suggest. That was, I believe that premiered at Cannes, actually. And that was like one that people really, really 11 minutes standing ovation. Yeah, is this true? You Everybody gets standing ovations at Cannes. They do, but not always for good reasons. Anyway, that <laughs> is going to wrap it up for us today. Again, if you liked our episode today, talking about The Last Airbender, do you want to make some suggestions on what we should cover next? Please email us at rtiswrong at rottentomatoes.com. Also be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're seeing this lovely podcast. Mark, do you know what we're talking about next week? Yeah, is it the Golden Tomatoes? We got she the Golden too. Tomatoes. So it's like the fans are voting and, and they get to have their voice heard and they get to talk about the movies that they love the most and we're going to be <laughs> telling them if they're right or not. <laughs> yeah. If we think, in our very humble opinion... If they're right. Yeah, we'll be talking about all the Golden Tomatoes, all the winners, and uh, I know that maybe isn't the biggest award event on your docket, Jacqueline, but Who? I will get dressed up. I might even wear like a pea coat or something. Oh, gym is, shorts is that on the what bottom? we do? Okay, Probably, we'll yes. think about it. Probably going to be a tank top. I've got some dresses hanging around everywhere. It's award season, ladies and gentlemen. We keep them in the rotation. But yeah, no, Golden Tomato Awards are going to be great. And if you haven't already, please head over to RottenTomatoes.com and check out our other Golden Tomato Award winners. And we'll see you all next time. 